0: if you have your Bibles, please turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 17. Today we're going to look at verses 10 through 15. Paul is in the middle of his second missionary journey in northern Greece, the region of Macedonia. And today he's specifically in the town of Berea. When we read the text in just a moment you 'll get a lot of similar details to what we 've seen before. He does his usual practice of entering the synagogue as soon as he goes into a new city and he preaches to them in the synagogue and and, and then there 's the usual reaction, both positive and negative of belief and unbelief uh, people coming to faith and then people forming angry mobs. And so I'm not going to spend much time there. What I'm going to focus on is this statement that Luke makes about the Bereans in verse 11. Now, if you've grown up in the church, what immediately comes to mind when you think of the Bereans? these are the Bible study champs. This is the varsity squad. They're the ones who take God's word seriously. They didn't just listen to Paul preach and just accept his words as gospel. They listened and then took the time to open their copies of the word and study them and search them to make sure that what Paul was saying lined up with what they've read in Scripture. And then, of course, there's the application. Be like the Bereans. Get in the Word. Search it. Verify. Question. Make sure that what is said from behind the pulpit is in agreement with God's Word. We're going to spend our time talking about the Bereans. And, of course, no shocker here, there's an exhortation to be like the Bereans. There's also a chance I may say nothing that is new to any of you. But there might be. I I want to encourage you this morning. That's my motivation. Primary motivation is as a pastor to be faithful to this text, especially when I'm preaching a sermon on it. But, But then to encourage you and remind you that The person who does the saving isn't isn't the guy in the robe. It's Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done and seeing him in all of Scripture. That's how we're changed. That's how we grow. And so let's pray and then see if we can learn something from these brothers and sisters in Berea. Heavenly Father, give us grace to receive your word, to receive it, knowing that your spirit speaks to us through it. Father, would you work this morning and give us eyes to see and ears to hear that which you would have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Acts 17, I'm going to read verses 10 through 15. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. There's no reason to think that Paul did anything different here in Berea than he did in Thessalonica. He does the same thing. He goes to the synagogue. He reasons with them from the scriptures. He's explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and die and rise from the dead. He's he's proving to them that this Jesus that he proclaims is the Christ. The message doesn't change. What's different is the way the Bereans consume Paul's message. We're told that the people in Thessalonica were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. I mean, that sounds sounds good. They were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. But what about the Bereans, these more noble ones? They, as verse 11 says, received the word with all eagerness, Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This difference, uh, this mark of nobility is what we're going to look at today. And the first thing I want you to see is that this is something the Bereans did together. Halfway through verse 11, Luke writes, they received the word. So we're going to stop at the word they. (laughs) This is something they did together. Now, what comes to your mind when you think of serious Bible study? I'll I'll speak as a millennial, just from my experience and what I've seen on college campuses. Maybe different for you. What I think of is going to your favorite coffee shop and getting your favorite drink and sitting down at your regular table. And then opening your Bible, as well as your moleskin notebook. It's very important you have a moleskin notebook. People know you're serious if you have a moleskin notebook. You put your earphones in, whatever music helps you to study and concentrate. You pull out your color-coordinated pens. And then finally, when conditions are perfect, you engage in a specific methodology of Bible study that you've been taught. And that's the picture I have in my mind of serious Bible study. But but in that picture, I am alone. Maybe the picture in your mind might be slightly varied. The venue, the methods. But I imagine for a lot of us, when we think about serious Bible study, we are alone. Maybe it's... You sitting on the back porch watching the sunrise with a cup of coffee, digging into a psalm. But you're alone. Now, I'll hedge you off here. Do not hear me say anything that would discourage your private reading of Scripture. It's not what I'm doing. The private reading of Scripture is so important to the Christian life. And in God's kindness, he has given us copies of his word, more copies than honestly we know what to do with. Psalm 1 speaks of the righteous man who meditates on the law of God day and night. Surely that's going to involve some private reading. I'm not discouraging private reading of scripture. I'm just pointing out that what the Bereans are doing in verse 11, they're doing together. One reason we see them doing this together, of course, is that they couldn't go home and open their copies of Scripture. Remember, this is some 1,400 years before the invention of the printing press. They didn't have their own copies of the Bible. The synagogue would have a copy. It it would have a scroll. Those who were very wealthy might be able to afford a scroll, but the only thing the Bereans could have taken home with them were portions of Scripture that they'd memorized. So the image here in Acts 17 is a group of people together in the synagogue, scroll open, and together they're examining what was said. They're reading, debating, going back and forth, asking some questions. Pause real quick from the sermon. Would someone, uh, we had a family show up, they tried to come in the back door, it was locked. Steve or Jordan, would you all help them? Thank you. Now, why harp on this? Because. Our understanding of the Christian life in our day and age is very individualistic, is it not? Me and my Bible and the Lord. And because of this, we can easily forget the importance of the body of Christ. We forget that God doesn't save us to be lone rangers. He saves us and then makes us members of a body. You become a hand, or a foot, or a nose, or an eye. And what good is that eye going to do on its own apart from the body? Additionally, when when we are all out on our own, we are more vulnerable to confusion and poor interpretations of Scripture When we're all alone all the time, our minds can run and we can end up in some funky places. There's a guy in you in my youth ministry days. He had experimented with a very wild life in high school and college. At some point, he makes a profession of faith. And through various circumstances, this is in Madison, of course, not Corinth. Quit trying to... Pick out who this is. This was in Madison. Through various circumstances, out of my control, he uh, winds up under my wing as an unpaid youth intern. He was a very intense person. He'd show up for youth group on a Sunday night, and he'd start talking like he'd been on some weekend-long... Bender of Bible study. He hadn't slept. He hadn't showered. He'd start telling me how he'd been tracing the numbers in the scripture. He'd been in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and he'd been looking at the numbers and he'd been adding them up and subtracting them and dividing them. And he started to see patterns and he knew there was some secret that was about to be unlocked and cracked. He just had to figure out the numerical code and he's telling me this just with wild eyes and my reaction was bro you need to chill out get 10 hours of sleep take a shower show up at men's bible study and just be quiet and listen <laughs> and i know that's an extreme example but we can interpret scripture poorly when we're all alone There is safety in numbers. There is safety within the church. When we're out by ourselves, our minds can run and we can end up in weird places. This study of scripture is something the Bereans did together. So I would say, first of all, if you want to be Berean, seek The opportunities, seek opportunities to interact with God's word corporately with other people. They received the word. They welcomed the word. They accepted the word. They were willing to hear the word. What was it? It'd be our Old Testament? the books of Moses, the prophets, the history, the wisdom literature, the Hebrew poetry. That's what they received. That's what Paul was preaching. And they were willing to sit under it and to submit to its authority. They were willing to concede that they might be wrong and Scripture... They might be wrong because Scripture is always right. They... they were willing to receive it because they understood this wasn't just a compilation of ancient Hebrew literature. It was God's Word. As Paul would say to Timothy about the same same books of Scripture, he writes, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. That's why they received the Word. John Calvin comments here and says, This is the way to enter into the faith, first of all. That we are ready to follow. And that we abandon our human understanding and submit ourselves to Christ. To be taught by him and to obey him. Important question to ask. Have I abandoned human understanding? Am I still depending on the conventional wisdom of this world? Or have I submitted to Christ to be taught by Him? Now, there's a why question here. Why would we do this? Why would we receive the Word? Why did they receive the Word? Because we believe that the Holy Spirit speaks through Scripture. It's not simply that our historic religious text is superior to other historic religious texts. It's because we believe that the Holy Spirit works in Scripture. We believe that when Scripture is read and preached and studied, God, the Spirit, is at work. That's why it's authoritative. The Westminster Confession of Faith, one of our governing documents as a denomination says that the supreme judge of all religious controversies, the supreme judge of councils and the opinions of ancient writers and doctrines of men, the supreme judge of it all is the scripture. Why? Well, the confession says because the Holy Spirit Speaks in Scripture. God speaks through his book. That's why the Bereans received it. We're told that they received the word and did so with all eagerness. Day by day, they're going to the synagogue, opening the scrolls, meeting together, uh, asking questions. And we're told that they did so eagerly. So Luke here is telling the posture of the Bereans. You know, back in May, Molly and I were very graciously given tickets to go to the Skirmer Horn Center in Nashville. Beautiful, beautiful building. It's home of the Nashville Symphony. And the specific show we went to see was the the film scores of John Williams. So this included music from Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, Superman, Star Wars, and Harry Potter. Those famous, iconic scores. And it, it was a fantastic show. Way too short. It ended, and it, was kind of, it came to an end. I'm like, really? Is it over already? How How is that possible? I, I could have listened another two hours easily. But you, you, you know what word described me before that show? Eager. We got to dinner early. We finished dinner early. Got there, walked around. we able to get drinks and snacks and then use the bathroom and find our seats with plenty of time. And then I'm sitting there watching all the different members of the symphony and I'm listening to them warm up and practice. And there's just a... A jumble of music happening. But every now and then I'd get snippets of something I recognized. I'd get a brief line. Just a few measures of some music. Maybe something like... Dun, da, da, dun, da, da, da. And I knew what was coming. I was ready. I was expecting. I, I wasn't... Just leaning back in my chair, mindlessly scrolling through my phone, looking bored. I was leaning forward in my seat, ready to listen. And then when the first chair violin walked out, I'm like, here we go. We're starting. No, it's just a a last minute tune. And then finally, the, the maestro, the conductor comes out. And the show began. Luke tells us that the Bereans received the word with all eagerness. And oh, that the Lord would give me the same eagerness for his word that I had for hearing the theme song of Star Wars. Oh, that he would do the same for you. What is your posture towards The public reading of Scripture, the preaching of Scripture, the teaching of Scripture, the study of God's Word. Are you indifferent? Or is there an eagerness to sit under the Word? Now listen, I know that there are Sunday mornings when you don't feel about corporate worship the same way I feel. Felt about going to the skirmer horn. I know sometimes it's all you can do just to get here, and you come in tired and beat up and discouraged. You come in here sometimes not feeling well at all. Sometimes you come in here, young families, you come in here and you've been through an ordeal, just getting children dressed. And feeding them breakfast and keeping breakfast off the clothes. Maybe you come in after having disagreements and maybe some strong speech in the car with maybe a spouse or children on your way. Maybe you come in and your levels of activity and busyness during the week is such that you got nothing to give. Maybe the presence of a particular sin in your life is dampening your enthusiasm about gathering with the saints for worship. I know that you aren't going to show up every week like the Bereans, eager and on the edge of your seats, but shouldn't we pray to? Shouldn't that be our desire instead of just resigning ourselves to it, shouldn't we ask the Lord for this? Lord, make me eager. Change and inflame my heart. Create with me an eagerness to sit under your word. Maybe give me the conviction and motivation to change my calendar, to let certain things go and to tell certain people no so that I can show up not exhausted and maybe cause this expectation to begin on Saturday evenings not just when I walk through the door I listened to a sermon Dr. Derek Thomas preached when he was at First Presbyterian Church of Jackson. And uh, there's a couple nuggets that I pulled from that sermon. I wanted to share the first one with you. Dr. Thomas said it starts on Saturday night. Oh, guard your Saturday nights. So that on Saturday night, one of the things you should do is pray. Pray for the preacher. Pray for the sermon. Pray for those who teach Sunday school. Ask God to come down. Ask the Holy Spirit to descend, to empower, to teach, to instruct, so that the word might go forth and be disseminated. I hope that doesn't sound crazy to you. No, personally, I would covet your Saturday evening prayers? Because some of you know I'm not the type of preacher whose sermon is finished on Friday. There's work happening most Saturday afternoons and evenings. I could use your prayers. But what would it look like as you think through your weekly schedule to guard your Saturday nights? And and, and not saying that you sit at home and do nothing and talk to no one, but what would it look like To get more rest. I mean we get rest for other important days. What if those words we sang in our second hymn. Became an earnest prayer of our hearts. Speak O Lord as we come to you. To receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth. Plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness. The Bereans received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This word in the Greek that is translated as examining or examined is a word that is legal or trial language. Uh, New Testament scholar C.K. Barrett writes, uh, this word translated as examining is nowhere else used in the New Testament for the study of Scripture. It suggests rather the legal examination of witnesses or of an accused person. And this is in fact the sense in which it is used here. Paul has set up the Scriptures as witnesses. Does their testimony, when tested, prove his case? Right, so this is legal language. This is trial language. Every other time you see this word, it takes place in the context of a trial. Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate in Luke 23 and is examined. Peter and John are examined before the religious elite in Jerusalem in Acts 5. In Acts 12, Peter is rescued from prison. He could not be found. Herod examined the centuries and then ordered that they be executed. Paul will stand before rulers in Acts 24 and Acts 28, and in both times he is examined. This word describes the legal inquiry, the questioning of witnesses. And this is what the Bereans are doing with the scriptures. Does the testimony of Scripture corroborate Paul's claims? Paul is reasoning, he's arguing from Scripture that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Does this line of questioning of Scripture agree? And as Luke tells us, they found that it did. They found that every New Testament doctrine Paul preached there was an Old Testament picture. They found that the Exodus and the tabernacle and the manna and the serpent on the pole and the sacrificial system, all of it is a picture of a New Testament doctrine. All of it testifies to the truth of Paul's claims regarding the person and work of Jesus. Examined the scriptures to see if these things were so. You know, there's a reason I begin every sermon by saying some variation of, If you would, please turn with me in your copies of God's word to today's text. There's a reason I do that. I want us to be like the Bereans. I want you to have Bibles opened. I'm aware there are some churches where it is possible to go the entire service and never have a Bible open. I don't want us to be one of those churches. I don't want to be one of those churches where you just say, John, we trust you. We'll, we'll take your word for it. There is a desire on my part, on the part of the elders, to have this holy book opened in front of you. And here's the other nugget I got from Derek Thomas. He talks about that holy rustling. This, this sound. That sound. Derek Thomas says, I love the sound. It's a holy sound of the rustling of the leaves of Scripture during a sermon. It's a beautiful sound when I hear someone turn over a few pages of Scripture because they're tracing something. They're checking whether this is so or not. I can promise I'm not going to be offended if I hear this noise. I'm not going to be offended if you ask me questions. Our elders, our Sunday school teachers are not going to be offended if you say, well, what about this? We want our preaching and our teaching to be as faithful to God's Word as possible. We are not afraid of you asking questions. Now, why is it important to have your Bibles open to see if these things were so? Because there's some teaching you'll hear in churches that doesn't come from the Bible. There's some teaching in Scripture that would not stand this level of scrutiny. It is possible for a pastor to say, this is biblical, and have it not be biblical. Every heresy from church history began with its proponents claiming it was biblical modern day example. You think of uh, that, that weight loss church in Brentwood, Tennessee. They claim to be biblical. False teachers always have Bible verses. We don't take them at their word. We examine the scriptures to see if these things were so. And the Bereans together made sure that the passage Paul was referencing meant what, it said, what he said it meant. Here's where I want to end. Everything we've seen so far is what the Bereans did. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. But how does Luke describe them? You see in the beginning of verse 11, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. What in our minds ordinary, ordinarily makes a person noble? Their blood, their family lineage, they're the children of kings and queens. They own land. They possess titles. But none of that describes the Bereans. Luke says that they're more noble because of their diligent searching of the Scriptures. He isn't praising them for their social standing. He's praising them for their character. It was their careful examination of the Scriptures that made them noble. It was their eagerness to open Scripture. It was their acquiescence to the authority of Scripture that demonstrated their nobility, that demonstrated their citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's interesting. The world's idea of nobility involves owning and possessing and ruling but the Bereans are noble because they received they received the word they received the very truth of God and in it they beheld the son of God who takes away the sin of the world and they believed and were brought into his kingdom Isn't that a fitting description of the Christian life? Simply receiving. A a nobody being made somebody because of what they receive, not what they accomplish. Not what they earn, but what they are given. This is the Christian life. Receiving. Receiving. Saying in faith, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I'll end with this verse Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by your grace, would we be those who receive... Would we be those who receive your word? Would we be those who receive the work that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us? Would we be those who receive the righteousness that he freely gives? Would we be those who have this disposition of receiving so that there might be nothing we can boast in? You have done it all. Father, would you make uh, yourself our vision? Would you be our vision? Would we see your son in your word? And would we see him as the greatest treasure we could possibly possess? And yet he is not a treasure that we earn or buy, but a treasure that is freely given by faith. We ask this in his name. Amen.